so this record in and of itself is the most comprehensive statement on the state of municipal broadband uh, that I've ever seen. Hello, this is the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. On February 26th, the FCC, headed up by Chairman Tom Wheeler, made history. They struck down some provisions of Tennessee and North Carolina law that restrict municipal broadband efforts. Attorney Jim Baller has been working on telecom issues for over 20 years. He and his firm worked with Chattanooga and Wilson to file their petitions that eventually led to this pivotal moment. Jim has been with us before, and this time he and Chris dig deep into the laws that were in place, the barriers they created, and the way the FCC analyzed the situation. Consider this a companion to the opinion and order. You can and should read the opinion and order yourself, but this conversation will help provide an extra dimension that you can't get elsewhere. When you're finished listening to the podcast, please take a moment to go to ILSR.org or MuniNetworks.org and make a quick donation. We enjoy bringing you the podcast each week ad-free, but we certainly can use your support. Now here's Chris interviewing Jim Baller from Baller Herbst, Stokes, and Lyde. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Live edition coming to you from Des Moines with Jim Baller. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here. You, uh, you've been up with us previously discussing the history of municipal networks, and, and here we are today. Um, we we're at the Iowa Association of Municipal Utilities, and since we're in the same room, I wanted to interview you about how you have just made history. Well, lots of people uh, contributed to that, including yourself. Uh, you've made a yeoman contribution to get us to where we are today. Thanks. You know, anyone who's listening to this show, if it's their first show, welcome. Otherwise, they already know what's going on. But maybe you can just refresh us. Um, We're going to talk about the FCC petitions from Chattanooga and Wilson. You worked with them as their attorney on the matter. Um, what, What was the reason that they brought these petitions forward to the FCC? Both Chattanooga and Wilson, like many other communities across the country, are very interested in providing their citizens and businesses and institutions the very best broadband connectivity to the internet that they can in the case of both Wilson and uh, EPB of Chattanooga state laws prevented them from serving uh, businesses and residents very near to their current communications footprint they brought these petitions to ask the commission to remove the state barriers that prevented them from meeting demand uh, right outside their uh, current territories. One of the things that I think is just really important to note on the outset is that when it comes to expanding internet access, it's really great to see cities like Wilson and Chattanooga saying, we want to share this gift with the world, rather than saying, hey, screw you neighbors, if you want to have good jobs, you're going to have to come and move across the city borders and into our city. And I just, I think it's worth noting, we're not going to dwell on it, but um, cities that are willing to cooperate in this way really should be rewarded and thanked for having a broader vision of how we can all succeed as a country rather than narrowly as just a little region. So the question for you is now, how did it go? We, we just had this great vote at the FCC, and, and we're going to dig into it. But tell us what the FCC said in brief. 
Well, the FCC agreed with us, and it preempted the state laws in question, so there are now no more constraints on EPB in Tennessee and other municipal utilities in Tennessee and on uh, Wilson, North Carolina, and other municipalities in North Carolina on going forward. Uh, communities can now evaluate their opportunities and decide what to do without the artificial constraints posed by these barriers. And when you say now, you mean now. We're not waiting on anything. The orders uh, were effective on issuance, so as of last Thursday, the laws in North Carolina and Tennessee are, are preempted. Now, there may well be appeals of these uh, decisions by the FCC, but uh, at the moment, the orders are in effect and the state laws are preempted. Right. I just wanted to make sure people were aware that we're not waiting on the Federal Register. One of the biggest questions that people have been asking is, why does the FCC have the authority to do this? And I'm wondering what you learned from the opinion in terms of how they see their authority. Well, in the opinion, the FCC confirmed that Section 706 of the Telecommunications Act of 1996 authorizes them to remove barriers to broadband investment. In fact, Section 706 requires them to remove barriers to broadband investment and competition. It says that the FCC must be proactive in identifying where such barriers exist, and if they ever find that there are impediments to the reasonable and timely deployment of advanced telecommunications capabilities, they must remove those barriers. The FCC found that that was clear authority for them to remove the Tennessee and North Carolina laws in question. Now, I think if people really want to dig into this, they can, they can do it on their own, and maybe we'll come back to it in a future show. But there's a, a question that people often have, which is, what about Nixon v. Missouri? What about these other issues? I'm, just, I'm curious if in brief you can address um, how the FCC has that authority when in, in other cases in the past, in other sections of the Act, it may not have. This case is different from other cases in many different ways, but one of the most important is that the FCC dived very deeply into what these laws actually do, what they say, whose benefit uh, they were written for, how they were enacted. And it decided that, uh, first of all, that these laws were plain, ordinary, uh, commercial measures designed to protect the markets of uh, communications carriers. To that extent, it decided that the um, uh, high standards of uh, judicial review for matters that are uh, geared toward uh, addressing the relationship between states and their uh, local governments uh, don't apply. So the FCC uh, made that distinction to begin with. Second, the FCC uh, said that it was clear from the face of uh, Section 706 that uh, the FCC had authority, in fact, was required to remove these barriers. Uh, I read that as uh, the FCC saying that even if the standards that were uh, uh, applied in the Nixon case and uh, other cases on which it relied were applied here, the same result would, would obtain. So th when the FCC took this deep dive, let's start with Tennessee. What did it find in, with regard to how the Tennessee law, which you can start by describing, how did that slow broadband deployment? 
the provision that uh, we challenged were four words in the law that allowed the uh, uh, municipalities to provide cable and broadband internet service. Uh, the, law, the words were that they could do so uh, only in their uh, service territory. Uh, the law had previously recognized the right of municipalities to provide telecommunication services throughout the state. So this is effectively a restriction that only addressed broadband internet service and cable service. So the state law literally allowed these cities to build telephone networks anywhere, the same fiber infrastructure, but it did not allow them to expand internet access or cable services anywhere. I'd say that it, that it recognized their uh, existing rights. Now, Chattanooga had home rule authority, which meant that it could provide any services that it wanted uh, anywhere before, and it had that authority long before these laws were enacted. And so what the, the laws effectively did was to restrict laws that uh, Chattanooga would have had in the absence of these laws. So what the laws did was recognize that municipalities have a right to provide telecommunication services uh, throughout the state. Uh, it, then it recognized that they have the right to provide broadband and cable service, but then it restricted that right to the um, uh, current uh, service territory. Mm -hmm. And so what EPB did was to say, uh, remove the restriction on the current service territory so that they could uh, evaluate the opportunity to offer service uh, outside of their current electric footprint. And in, and in Wilson, it was a significantly different approach. And Wilson had a series of laws that was passed. It was Bill HB 129, how people still recognize it from 2011. And what I really enjoyed, I think the word thicket came up a number of times in terms of how these laws interrelated. Maybe you can unpack that for us. Now, Wilson operates a municipal electric utility in six counties in uh, North Carolina, and under the law as passed in uh, 2011, uh, it was constrained to provide service only in Wilson County and not in the other five counties in which it uh, already has municipal plant. Now, the law enacted in 2011 um, is a law that deceptively was described as advancing fair competition and a level playing field for the private sector. Significantly, the FCC took a look at every uh, line and word of the law and found that uh, the law is, in fact, prohibitive. Uh, certainly, with all of the provisions working together, they create a, a, a massive wall over which no uh, public entity could uh, get over uh, and no private entity, in fact, was complying with. The FCC repeatedly found that the constraints that were uh, in this law uh, operated in a one-way fashion and uh, achieved an asymmetrically heavy burden on municipalities that the private sector did not have to meet. One of the things that I found interesting was that the FCC looked at that and said, North Carolina, you have expressly authorized municipalities to build and operate these networks, but then you've decided to go further and decide the conditions under which public entities and private entities can offer these offer this interstate service, which means it's an it's a issue that brings up the Commerce Act explicitly. And the FCC, the way I read it, said, you don't get to regulate interstate commerce. That's our job. 
That's exactly right, Chris. And there's good precedent for that kind of uh, determination. There are uh, uh, years of uh, cases saying that when uh, there is local authority to provide uh, certain services or do certain things, uh, a state cannot impose restrictions that are contrary to federal law or policy on those once those rights are granted. The result is that in, in North Carolina, every city um, is no longer uh, burdened by the, the HB 129 provisions. And in Tennessee, the electric cities are able to offer services anywhere in the state. But the FCC has chosen not to answer the question of whether it could force Tennessee to allow every community to be able to offer Internet access. Two points in response to that. First of all, the FCC did not um, remove the legislation of 2011 in its entirety. It did find that there are some measures there uh, that uh, were uh, not uh, barriers and it upheld those. So a community would have to meet the, those specific provisions. In addition, as we showed in the proceeding, uh, in the absence of the legislation of uh, 2011, municipalities would have to comply with a whole range of existing laws they would still have to do that. Nothing has changed in that respect. The Commission did not say that it does not have authority to uh, preempt complete barriers. It said that that was not before it in this matter. And so that's essentially a carol for another Christmas. Uh, if and when a uh, petition arises that is based on uh, the assertion that the state has completely prohibited uh, communications projects by municipalities, uh, the, the FCC will analyze that case. That was not this case because both uh, petitioners did have authority before the restrictions were uh, imposed on it. So uh, with those qualifications, yes, uh, communities uh, can move forward without having to comply with the rest of the provisions of the uh, 2011 legislation that the FCC removed. One of the things I found really interesting was that the FCC seems to provide a roadmap for other states in this opinion in a variety of ways. What did you find in reading it? Well, first of all, the FCC, uh, specifically in one of its paragraphs, invited entities in other states that believe that they were constrained by state laws to petition the FCC for a review of those laws. The FCC is uh, very much interested in uh, looking at other state laws that uh, may be posing similar constraints. Second, this is a very carefully thought out decision. The FCC looked at lots of things and one who reads the opinion uh, very carefully can see in there a framework for analysis and uh, uh, that framework uh, will help others to look at their state laws and see uh, what the impact of those laws are. The North Carolina law in particular um, in this regard is important because the FCC, as I've said a few moments ago, looked at it very carefully. In fact, there are significant elements in the laws of a number of other states that are similar to the provisions uh, of the North Carolina law. and. Uh, 
for anyone who has those similar provisions, they should uh, read the opinion very carefully. And they should not be at all intimidated. The opinion is is very readable. Um, there's all kinds of places that if you're interested in what they have to say, they have footnotes. Uh, it's I, I've read a number of these documents over the years, and I felt like this one was particularly accessible for anyone who really wants to get a better sense of why each individual aspect of the North Carolina law uh, failed uh, with regard to the FCC's tests um, in terms of being an appropriate uh, tool. Uh, so I would just I would give a heavy pitch for people to, to check it out. It's it looks long, but that's because there's a ton of footnotes. It's very readable. Check it out. Let me also add, it's long in another. Uh, respect as well. Uh, this was a, a conversation, so to speak, in which hundreds of mm-hmm. uh, comments were filed by all sorts of um, interested parties, ranging from those who focused on the uh, constitutional issues to those who uh, criticized uh, municipalities that provide services for philosophical reasons that uh, allege that municipalities have unfair advantages, that they either do too good a job or do too bad a job. Or both at all, the same time. <laughs> right. All of this was aired in this proceeding, and there were hundreds of comments filed on those issues. And the FCC looked at each and every one of those claims and found that um, they were not supported by substantial evidence or were irrelevant in some respects. Um, So this record in and of itself is the most comprehensive statement on the state of municipal broadband uh, that I've ever seen uh, written and I hope that uh, our conversation about the value of municipal broadband and local choice to America uh, withstands whatever happens in the court process that people are actually looking realistically to the great benefits to some communities that projects of this kind can offer and what uh, the public and private sectors can do working together if we we ever get over uh, quarreling with one another and turn to how the public and private sectors can work together successfully i hope this uh, record will be part of uh, the the process that gets us to that point of cooperation one of the particulars in that i found interesting was that there's long been this allegation that local governments have unfair ability to regulate and punish their rivals in the market. And the FCC wrestled with that and said, we found no evidence in the record. And it's one of those issues where it's really easy for someone to say, well, it's just not fair for cities to do this. But given months and even previously years of time to compile any evidence There was no party that was able to enter into the record any evidence that a local government has engaged in those behaviors. Let's step back from that a minute and ask how that regulation would happen. First of all, uh, telecommunication services are regulated at the federal and state level, not at the local level. Broadband internet is pretty much not regulated anywhere at the federal, state, or local level. Cable franchising is in many states done at the state level. Uh, Where it is done at the local level, it's uh, tightly constrained by federal and state uh, requirements. Right-of-way access is uh, subject to non-discrimination requirements. 
so where, where's the regulation? Even if there were a desire to regulate, there's no authority to regulate in most instances. Right, and actually I made a comment recently at a, a, city, a city's council meeting in front of the city attorney in which uh, I said, cities tend not to do things that are illegal. <laughs> to which he he said yes because of me. <laughs> it's worth it's just worth noting that that I just want to bring that up. But fundamentally, what you were saying is that if we ever deal with this again, if 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 you're in if you're in California and you hear someone making this accusation, you can say, look, the FCC examined this. It went through this process, and there's no record that they could find of this being an issue anywhere. Right. Let me add that. One of the most satisfying parts of this decision for me are, uh, is how the FCC dealt with the um, issue of phantom costs or imputed costs, as mm -hmm. we uh, refer to it. Uh, there's uh, typically a, a requirement in laws like the uh, North Carolina law that uh, public entities impute to themselves the same taxes and other kinds of uh, obligations that a private sector entity would uh, in, incur in similar circumstances. But let's let's take a look at that. You know, to to a person who's not informed, including some state legislators, that might sound reasonable on its face. But let's let's think about that. The private sector claims that it won't make investment in particular areas because the costs are too high. Okay, so the idea behind imputed costs is to raise the costs for the municipality to the levels where they can't make the investment either. Okay, and so that that's the whole purpose of requiring the pretending that costs are incurred that in fact are not. Let's drill this down into um, income taxes, f for example. Okay, so when you think about it, if a if a private entity needs to get 30-40% profit, which would be subject to tax, in order to invest in a project, it would go ahead and do it if it thought it could get it in the project. They don't make the investment because for their own purposes that kind of uh, investment opportunity won't pay off. I'm not saying it's a bad decision, it's a, it's a rational corporate decision not to invest in those circumstances. But then when a law says you, a community has to impute to itself what a private sector experience would be. Um, think about how think about how you would do that. Okay, first of all, a community would make an investment of that kind because it could treat the investment as a long-term capital investment, and they don't need to get the kinds of profit that the private sector requires. Mm -hmm. So, income tax on that kind of investment would presumably be zero. Right. Okay, but. Is that what the law says? No. Arguably, it says you have to assume you're going to make 30 to 40 percent profit. Then you have to assume a certain tax rate. Now, who do you use as a comparable? Do you use Verizon? Do you use Comcast? Do you use some nonprofit? Um, whatever choice you make, you're going to subject yourself to criticism and litigation and lengthy delays and so on and so forth. And what investor is going to invest in a project knowing that there's so many uncertainties and opportunities for the project to be derailed? So we start with the principle that to some may sound reasonable, but when you actually apply it in reality, this becomes a huge burden and a huge problem. And the FCC basically analyzed each and every 
section every provision of the law and said they all contribute to this sort of thing happening so that's what the problem is with these laws it could very well be that uh, some legislators thought they were in fact contributing to a level playing field in fair competition but the fact of the matter is now we know because we have this decision that those uh, fine concepts in reality are not borne out and in fact laws by this of this kind uh, advanced uh, by the uh, incumbent carriers has the effect of being uh, barriers and uh, and frankly that's what their their intent is was there anything in the opinion that that you just found interesting and maybe put a smile on your face or something where where you're just kind of like oh I didn't think of it that way uh, it wasn't any one thing. Uh, I could barely read three or four paragraphs without pausing to smile and to want to uh, applaud the FCC for uh, actually doing the hard work and heavy lifting of looking into all of these claims carefully and addressing them. Uh, one example that was particularly uh, pleasing is that um, we've been arguing for years that broadband can be constrained not only by laws that directly focus on broadband but on related uh, laws for example constraints on the provision of cable services because uh, cable services are often bundled with broadband internet services and you can't view a project looking only at broadband the economics of the entire project are important. So if you impair the ability to provide uh, voice or cable services, you make it much more difficult for a broadband project to survive on its own. The FCC has been saying much the same thing in other contexts and opinion. Uh, it, it put two and two together and arrived at four. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was very gratifying. Paragraph after paragraph contains very gratifying uh, analysis from our perspective. I think it's it's worth noting that you've been working in this field for 20 years. Correct. More than 20 years. Yeah. It's worth noting, you've been working in this field for more than 20 years. Would this have happened without the individual personalities at the commission right now? I mean, it came down to a party line vote, but, but I don't know that that vote would have even happened if it was just three other Democrats, for instance, that had been appointed well, in the two decades that I've been involved in this area, we've uh, seen many uh, good uh, commissioners on the FCC, but we've never seen a chairman of the FCC who is more active and committed to creating competition and in uh, building as strong a base of broadband connectivity as uh, Chairman Tom Wheeler. Uh, he has, you know, whether you love him or you hate him, you have to recognize that he is a man of his uh, word. He has a vision for America that, that I share, I know you share, and uh, many of our colleagues shares. And uh, uh, it is very much the commission, the, the chairman's uh, drive to uh, put these issues squarely in front of us and to deal with them in a way that uh, he believes will serve our country well and uh, I'm very thankful to him for doing that. If you're in a state that is thinking about petitioning, let me just suggest 
that you talk with Jim <laughs> because because Jim you've been you've been incredibly important throughout this and I think if any state is thinking if any city is thinking about moving forward with a petition they're going to want to craft it in the strongest way and and I just think given your experience and and, and your work on this um, a city would be foolish not to talk with you before moving too far down the the path Chris that's a very generous statement and I appreciate it and um, uh, we're in this together, uh, we in the cities uh, around the country, and um, uh, anything that we can do to uh, get more cities free to exercise their local choice and whether to proceed by uh, developing their own networks or working with willing incumbents or entering into public-private partnerships uh, is, is something that uh, we, we strongly support and we'll do everything we can to uh, help move forward. And you and Joanne Hovis are working on the Coalition for Local Internet Choice. That is not over. People should still be joining, right? Not only is it not over, but I believe our uh, challenges uh, increase along with our uh, successes. Uh, This is not a time when we can sit back and uh, clap ourselves on the back Across the country, uh, there are members of uh, legislatures that um, are, for political reasons, opposed to uh, anything that the uh, current uh, White House uh, supports. Uh, We have seen battles in the states every year for the last 20 years. It's important for us to target the right issue. The right issue is local choice, the ability of communities to participate significantly in the decisions that affect their economic well-being, their educational opportunities, their public safety, their access to health care, transportation, energy, environmental protection. That's what's at stake here. These are traditional interests of local governments. They always have been. They always will be. We're talking about creating platforms and drivers that enable success simultaneously in all of those areas. We have to enable local governments to contribute to the well-being of their communities in our country. That's what we're doing at the um, uh, Coalition for Local Internet Choice. That's what other organizations like Next Century Cities are trying to advance. We need an activist country. This is such an important issue and the stakes are so high for every one of us. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I, I very much appreciate all you do. Keep it up and keep expanding. As you can imagine, there are quite a few stories on the FCC decision at muninetworks.org, including a post that pinpoints some important quotes from the opinion. We encourage you to look those over. We also encourage you to send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We are at Community Nets. Thank you to a person for the song Blues Walk licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening. Have a great day. Music